today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I do not give to you peace as the world gives. Well, that means that the world has a peace that it can give. Yeah, but I would rather have the peace that Jesus gives because that's the true peace. It's supernatural peace. See, the peace that the world has to offer goes like this. You can have peace when everything's going okay. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. This world offers us so much, but it doesn't always get us far. Peace is wonderful, but it's difficult to experience in the midst of uncertainty. Today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that while the world can offer you peace, it's a peace that's fleeting and dependent on circumstances. The peace that Jesus offers is well beyond our understanding. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Jesus is the Prince of Salem. You know what Salem means, right? Uh, It's the same word in Arabic as it is in Hebrew. Well, in Hebrew, uh, they don't use the S sound. They use the SH sound. So it's Shalom, peace. In Arabic, we say Salem. So if I say to you in Arabic, Salam Alaikum. I'm saying peace be upon you. Jaru Salem means possession of peace. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> the one city in the world throughout human history that has been anything but. That's what Yaru, they don't pronounce the J in Hebrew, but that's what Yaru Salem means. Possession of peace. So he's the king of Salem, peace. He's also, his name means king of righteousness. And this is a picture of Jesus who is our righteousness. Now this is where it gets a little bit, uh, what's the word? I'm going to use the word gnarly. If you have a better word, let me know afterwards, but we're going to use gnarly for now. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. This is where it gets gnarly because this is where those who believe that Melchizedek was a Christophany, a Bethlehem appearance of Christ, they go to because we're told that he was without father or mother. Now, some who suggest that he is a type of Christ say that there's no record of his genealogy, his father or his mother. So again, either way you get there, you're fine. You don't ruin the Christophany, if that's your belief, nor do you ruin the type. Well, so too was Jesus without earthly father and mother pre-Bethlehem. Melchizedek, without beginning or end, like with Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God, a picture of Jesus as the Son 
of the Most High God. Melchizedek remains a priest forever. So as we're reading the chapter, I I hope you caught it, but the writer of Hebrews is very careful to point out that the Levites, the priestly tribe, from which Melchizedek was not of that order, a new order, and the order of Melchizedek would come from Judah. Yet nobody, Moses never said that Judah was going to be the priestly tribe, only the Levites would be the priestly tribe. So what's up with that? Well, here's the problem. The Levites, those priests, well, how do I say it? They die. So you see why the writer of Hebrews is saying we need a new order, a better hope. And not only that, but those priests had to do something about their own sins before they could even get to your sins. And depending on the priests serving in the priestly duties at that time, it might be a while, especially if you're in front of me, and he's got to deal with your sins before mine. And because of course your sinless is a lot longer than mine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Melchizedek remains a priest forever. Jesus is our high priest for eternity. Melchizedek, another priest to come in his order, and then Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. Now this is where, again, it gets interesting, because it's a picture of communion, the bread and the wine. Melchizedek brings bread which points to and is a type of the body of Jesus Christ as the bread broken for us. And Melchizedek also brings wine, which is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ as the wine shed for us. He is a type, at the very least, of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it's for this reason that the writer of Hebrews uses Melchizedek to articulate and communicate that only Jesus is our high priest forever. Here's an illustration, and this really has its place in what we know as the feasts. Uh, It's the Actually, again, same word in the Arabic language, my native tongue, as it is in Hebrew. It's the word mo'ad. And it's a a word that carries with it the idea of a sign pointing to an appointed time, an appointment. So like, again, in Arabic, if I were to say to to you, ana andi mo'ad ma'akum, what I'm saying is, I have an appointment, mo'ad, with you. Mo'ad. And it points to an appointed time until that time is fulfilled. So here's what this illustration is concerning Melchizedek. He's like a sign that you see in town. You're in Honolulu, and you see a sign. In fact, I think there is a sign, and it says Kaneohe, something like 14 miles or whatever it is. That sign is a moad. It points to your final destination. Now, when you reach your destination, which is Kaneohe, that sign has fulfilled its purpose. It's still there. It's still there, but it's fulfilled its purpose. 
And that's what Melchizedek is. He is a sign, Moad if you prefer, that points to the final destination of Jesus the Christ, who would come in His order and fulfill as our high priest forever. Because of the finished work of Christ, who died for us and instead of us, it's only Jesus who can give to us that which we need. Only Jesus. And the first one is in verses 1 through 10. And this is for anyone that is here today or even watching online, and everything is in utter turmoil and chaos. We talked about it in the prophecy update. Maybe you're here today and you're just filled with anxiety, even fear, with the uncertainty of what lies ahead with everything that's happening, the things you're being faced with, the things that are coming against you. There's a lot at stake. A lot of people are looking at their livelihoods and the real possibility of losing their livelihoods because of this. Well, you need peace. And only Jesus can give you that peace. Again, here the writer reintroduces Melchizedek. He first mentioned him back in chapter 2, verse 17. But now he's going to expound on the importance of Melchizedek and how he relates to Jesus the Christ. And it all starts with the name being the nature. See, they would wait in the Middle East. They wouldn't give you a name right when you were born. They would wait to give you a name because they wanted to see what your nature was. So they would watch and see what kind of a personality you had, and then they would name you accordingly. Now there are exceptions, and there are uh, places in Scripture, I think about Isaac, which in Arabic, again, the same as the Hebrew, Yitzhak. Yitzhak, if I say to you in Arabic, Ana Yitzhak ma'akum, I'm laughing with you. That's what his name literally means, Yitzhak, laughter. Why? Because that the name is the nature. This is laughable that a woman 90 years old, her womb long ago closed and barren, has a child? <laughs> I know, we'll name him Yitzhak. We'll name him Laughter. The name is the nature. You could go on down the line. Yahob, Jacob, <laughs> heel snatcher, con man, Esau, Harry. I mean, if you're named Harry, we love you. I know it's a different play on words, but you get the point, right? Well, such is the case with the name Melchizedek, because the name is the nature, and the nature is this. He's a king of righteousness first, then a king of peace. Now stay with me. One cannot know this peace absent first righteousness. When we're right with God and it's Christ's imputed righteousness, then we know peace. When we have the righteousness, then we can have the peace. The righteousness comes first. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is very careful 
to explain this. The name is the nature, righteousness and peace. Jesus is our righteousness, because our own righteousness, as we're going to see in Isaiah on Thursday nights, is as filthy rags. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you're interested, to look at the original meaning of that. I don't want to get into that today. It's pretty graphic. Our own righteousness is as that filthy rag. But this is not our own righteousness. This is Christ's righteousness. And not only is Jesus our righteousness, only Jesus is our peace. You know that song we sing, you are our peace. He alone gives us peace. And this is not just any peace. Jesus said, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Hang on to that. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I do not give to you peace as the world gives. Well, that means that the world has a peace that it can give. Yeah, but I would rather have the peace that Jesus gives because that's the true peace. It's supernatural peace. See, the peace that the world has to offer goes like this. You can have peace when everything's going okay. Well, how's that working out for you? If the only time I have peace is when things in my life are just going smashingly well, I'm sorry for that word, I'm going to have peace probably, I don't know, a minute and 30 seconds a day, if that, on a good day. Because see, now my peace is predicated upon my circumstances. That's the peace that the world offers. You could, hey, peace, everything's good. Okay, tomorrow, no more peace. <laughs> Things aren't good right now. Peace goes bye-bye. That's not the peace that Jesus comes to give. The peace that Jesus gives transcends human understanding. This is what Paul echoed in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, because there's so much fear, so much fear, so much anxiety. And I've shared with you very openly, I know it makes people uncomfortable when I'm this candid, but I still struggle with anxiety and fear and worry. I'm a, I'm a professional worrier, by the way. I have a PhD, I don't know if you knew that or not, in worry. Don't call me Dr. Farag. You can call me Dr. Worry if you want, but I am really good at it. There was one point I was so good at it. If I ran out of things to worry about, I'd ask you if there was something I could worry about for you. <laughs> oh, I was really good at it. But this is the peace that settles you and keeps your heart and mind in Christ, no matter what's happening. This peace is not determined by the circumstances in your life. Things in your life can just be upside down and in utter turmoil and chaos, but this peace that Jesus gives settles you. Everything around you is in turmoil, but you have this peace, that supernatural peace. That's the peace that Jesus comes to give I could use me some of that. How about you? 
Well, here's the second thing that only Jesus can give, and it's hope, true hope. Now, again, the writer is very careful to point out the Levitical priesthood's insufficiency and the law's imperfection, which necessitates a better hope. He he draws this point and upon this insufficiency of the Levitical order and how that it is imperfect. And the law is imperfect. The law can do nothing for you. The only thing the law can do for you is show you, you. And when you see yourself in the mirror of God's law, you see yourself as God sees you, as a sinner who has transgressed the law. That's all the law is there for. What if I told you that the Ten Commandments were never given for us to keep? Are you kidding me right now? Think about that. Let's just think about that for a moment. Talk about that for just a moment. Uh, I'm busted on number one, and number two, and number three, and number four, and number five, and number six, and all the way to number ten. I even added a couple, if you want, to that. I broke every single one of them. Now, what is the point of the law? The point of the law is to show me, me, and my need for Jesus. So the law takes me by the hand and says, you're toast. Yes, I'm toast. You need a Savior. Yes, I need a Savior. Let's go takes me like a schoolmaster by the hand to the Savior who fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. I cannot keep the law. The law is imperfect. I need a better hope, and that hope is Jesus. See, both the Levitical priesthood and the law made nothing perfect, but rather served its purpose like that moad, that sign, pointing us to our final destination, which is Jesus the Christ. Were it not for the better hope of Jesus being introduced, we're left with little hope in the old order, and here's why. It was only kofar, in the Hebrew, cover. See, these sacrifices in the Old Testament were only temporary. They were not sufficient forever. They were only temporary. They temporarily were covered. You know, I thought about this, and I thought, maybe I need to help me with this, Lord, because this is um, kind of intense. I want you to think about what it was like for them in the Old Testament. Every time they sinned, they had to get an animal, and they had to take it to the temple, and that anim- they would lay their hands on that animal, and they would confess their sins that they were sort of transferring to that animal that was going to be sacrificed for their sins. And then the priest would take that animal and slay that animal and shed that animal's blood 
And now their sins were covered because the sacrifice was made. I have to share with you, this is, when I came to Christ, I was just a blank slate. I knew nothing. I went out and got a good news Bible, and that was a stretch for me. I had killed so many brain cells, not proud of it with my lifestyle. So this is a limited vocabulary Bible. Many of you might remember this. And, and so I'm, I picked up the Bible and I started in the book of Genesis. I had heard nothing about starting the Gospel of John. So I started in Genesis and I'm reading this thing. I'm going, oh, and I get to Exodus and then I get to Leviticus. And I'm like, are you kidding me? you got to take an animal and kill it and sacrifice it and shed its blood for your sins? I'm thinking, do, do they do that? So I'm driving around churches looking for livestock in the parking lots. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. I was a blank slate. I'm like, no way. Every time, wait a minute. Every time I sin, I got to slay an animal and sacrifice that animal and shed its blood for my sin? That's a lot of animals, <laughs> right? And for those of you who faint at the sight of blood, how's that going to work out for you, right? That just brings, I mean, right in your face, the seriousness of sin. Can we agree that that would serve as a deterrent? Every time I sin, blood has to be shed. And it's only temporary because it's only a covering of the sin until the Lamb of God who was slain, until He comes in the order of Melchizedek as our high priest who has no sin of his own, and he is sacrificed once and for all. Imagine my relief when I got to the New Testament. I did not step foot in a church till I had read the Bible all the way through for the first time. And I actually thank God for that, because I got rooted and I didn't get into all the stuff, the traditions. And But imagine my relief when I get to the New Testament. I, when I tell you I was a blank slate, I, that's not hyperbole. When I get to the New Testament, it's kind of like, Oh, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's why there's no livestock in the parking lots of churches. You were sacrificed. You are the lamb. You are the sacrifice for my sin. And it doesn't just cover my sin. It removes my sin as far as the east is from the west. And you remember them no more. Wow. Sorry, I'm yelling. I'm, I'm serious. Can you imagine? I was ecstatic. I'm jumping around in my apartment. I'm just like, Jesus, you're the, it all made sense now. You're the sacrifice. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that I wasn't born in the Old Testament. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that? Because that's what they had to do. Now let's fast forward to when this was written, prior to 70 AD. They're still doing it. And here's these Hebrew Christians going, 
No need. No need. Jesus is our high priest, sacrificed once and for all. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout much of this book, Jesus is mentioned as the great high priest. Aren't you glad that you can go directly to him with your troubles? There's no need for an intermediary person to bridge the gap. Jesus became that bridge when he died on the cross. If you'd like to know or understand more about this concept, we encourage you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com and look for the resources tab. Under that, there's a link to the ABCs of salvation. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and saves you from a life and eternity without him. Hebrews simply touches on the fact that Jesus fulfilled all the things that were promised in the Old Testament. It's like when you're reading a spy novel and you're given clues earlier on, but then it all makes sense in the end. Would you like to connect with others in their faith walk? If you're not currently part of a church, join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30, 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you might be interested in some additional teachings by Pastor J.D., including his Mideast Prophecy Updates. This is an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this current time in the world's history. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition as we learn more valuable things from the book of Hebrews right here on In Spirit and Truth.